our Sunday evening service. We're glad you've joined us. Our study this week is from Habakkuk chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 19 in preparation for our message tonight. So here is a section entitled Habakkuk's Prayer. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, the prophet according to the Shiganoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it, and in the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. And then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion and affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place, and the light of your arrows as they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You thrashed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet... I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. This is to the choir master with stringed instruments. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to speak to us tonight. Lord, your word is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. You bring us into truth and you help us. You make us stable. You make us strong in our faith by instructing us, by giving us your worldview and replacing the fallen worldview that we have received 
from our parents, from the people around us, from our culture. And we need to know what you say is truth. And so help us tonight as we study your word together. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you may remember that we ended last week's study without making any application, saying that all the application we need has already been provided to us by God himself here in chapter 3. So tonight, we're going to have the happy privilege of unpacking that application as we listen to Habakkuk pray. Habakkuk is going to respond to God's revelation of his plans that he's given him. And the big idea that we're going to be dealing with before us tonight is this. Since all that God does is for the benefit of his people, we should accept his ways. We should worship his person and rejoice in his works, no matter what he chooses to do. Now, it may help us in tonight's study to review briefly what the entire message of the book of Habakkuk has been. So it'll probably be helpful to us if we understand that Habakkuk was a man who was living in a difficult age, an age of chaos, very much like ours, and he had questions for God about that. Habakkuk is a faithful man. He's a man who believes. He trusts God. He understands that what God does is good. And yet, when he looked around at the sinfulness of his own nation, he was just puzzled by the fact that God didn't seem to be doing anything about it. And so the book of Habakkuk really deals around questions that, God, that Habakkuk asked God to answer. And the first question that Habakkuk asked God for an answer for was, why aren't you doing anything about the sinfulness of your people? And you'll remember that God gave a response, and his response to Habakkuk, his questioning prophet, was, well, I am doing something. I'm raising up the Babylonians, and I'm going to use them as a tool to correct and reform my people. Well, this was quite stunning to Habakkuk. Habakkuk's reply to the Lord was, well, the Babylonians are worse than we are. How can you use them? And, and if you're going to be doing this, and if this is really your plan, how are we supposed to live through such a time as this? What about the faithful among us? What shall we do? And God gave him a word that really is the key to the whole book. It's found in chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. God said, here's how you live through times of chaos. Watch my word. Keep your eye on my word. Take my word to heart, he said. And then he said, await my work. Wait patiently while I work out my plan. And then finally he said, walk by faith. Look into the book and do what it says on a daily basis as you wait for me to work out my plan. And then he said, hey, Habakkuk, I've got another word too. And that word is that I've got a plan for the Babylonians after I get done correcting my people. I'm going to bring judgment on them. So tonight we're going to listen in as the prophet responds to God about these things. He's going to respond in prayer to God's revelation of his plan. This prayer is going to reveal to us three, a three-part template for living through chaotic times, as God sometimes uses those chaotic times to restore his people to fellowship with himself. And the counsel that Habakkuk is going to give us tonight is simply this. In verses 1 and 2, he's going to tell us that we need to accept God's plans. In verses 3 through 15, that we need to worship God's greatness. 
and in verses 16 through 19, that we ought to rejoice in God's works. So let's get started with our study. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, Habakkuk's prayer is an acceptance of God's plans. Habakkuk responded to God's revelation of his plan with prayer. He was, in a sense, answering back or responding to what God had said, and, in a, and that's what prayer is in many ways. It's simply responding to what God is doing in our lives and talking it over with him. And we hear Habakkuk doing that in verses 1 and 2, especially verse 2, where he says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. Habakkuk has some things to say to the Lord. And in this phrase that we've just read, Habakkuk says to the Lord, Lord, I hear what you're telling me. I've heard what your plan is, and what you've told me that you're going to do frightens me to the core of my being. I understand what you're saying, and I know you're good, and I accept what you're doing, but I still have to tell you that it's scary. I don't like the idea of having to live through chaos and the suffering that your people will go through. Nevertheless, even though Habakkuk honestly says to the Lord, I I don't like this thing you're doing. In this same verse, verse 2, he goes on and says something else. He says, in the midst of the years, revive it, and in the midst of the years, make it known. And what he's saying is, even though I'm frightened by your revelation, I willingly accept what you are going to do. And here's my prayer. Use your plan to revive your people, O Lord. So the first response of the prophet is this acceptance of the sovereignty of God's plan. But then there's one more thing he says in verse 2 that's helpful to us. He says, in wrath, remember mercy. He said to the Lord, Lord, I accept the rightness of your plan, but please, in the midst of your wrath against your people's sins, don't forget to have mercy on your people. Don't forget that we're just your poor sheep and we need your mercy as well as your correction. The prophet's first response to God's revelation of his plan is acceptance and a cry for mercy. You know, when someone else is in charge, we don't always agree with their plans and their ways and means of doing things. And sometimes this results in frictions that can become really insurmountable obstacles to the accomplishment of the task at hand. The only way around this is for the subordinate member of the team to express his or her reservations and then to submit to the authority of the appointed team leader. Anything less than this may very well derail whatever project's being worked on. And in just that same way, When God's on the move and his plans don't fit our way of thinking, we really only have one option that will ensure the success for our team. It's to take our burdens to the Lord as Habakkuk did and then to fall in line with God's plans as Habakkuk did. I wonder, are you willing to accept God's plan when what he has in mind frightens you? Or are we only willing to accept God's plans when God seems to agree with our own way of thinking? What if God wants to do something in his church or in our nation or in our family that doesn't agree with our way of thinking? Whose will takes priority? 
Do we have the confidence in God to trust that he knows best and is working all things out for the good of his people, the people he loves? What if God doesn't want a church to remain small and intimate when we do? Or what if he doesn't want a church to become larger and more active? What if he's satisfied with the church he already has? And what about our nation? What if it isn't his plan for a nation to become great again? What if he's got a different idea? Can we accept this? And what happens when God says to a family, look, I'm sending your kids and your grandkids to the mission field. Grandma, Grandpa, can you take it? Are you willing to accept God's will even though it doesn't fit your plans? When our plans don't agree with God's plans, who gets priority? You know, if we're wise, we'll follow Habakkuk's pattern. Admit your fears and get on the program with the one who loves his people more than we can ever imagine and who always does what's in our best interest, even when he's doing a severe mercy that doesn't fit our plans. Now, in verses 3 through 15, Habakkuk's prayer turns in another direction. He worships the greatness of God. He worships the greatness of God. You know, God's revelation to Habakkuk may have come in the form of a vision that's described in these verses. It's very difficult for the scholars to determine any specific events that these verses refer to, but they seem to relate to something that God showed Habakkuk in some fashion that pointed the prophet toward the greatness of God, toward God's sovereignty and God's power. Now, what did he show the prophet? Well, in verses 3 through 5, God came in glory. These are marvelous verses describing an arrival of God. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. Warren Wiersbe just summarizes these verses the best. He says, the thing that lifted Habakkuk to the mountaintop of worship at the end of his book was his understanding of the greatness of God. So the very first thing that God does for Habakkuk is to show the prophet his greatness. And it causes the prophet to worship. You know, we need a return to this kind of worship, says Wiersbe, the kind of worship that focuses on the glory of God and seeks to honor him alone. Good words from a good man. The second movement in this section is in verses 6 through 11, and God stands in judgment. God stands in judgment. Verse 6 tells us that when God came, he stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. You know, the Lord simply stood and looked when he arrived. He looked over the whole earth. He was measuring the earth. He's the owner of the whole earth. As if he's standing there in all of his awesomeness and his greatness. And he's saying, now, what am I going to do in this situation? How can I apply my power? I'm going to move in a way that needs to be moved in. And so I'm going to stand here and simply display by standing still that I'm the owner and that what I've got in mind is going to come to pass. 
Again, Wiersbe helps us. He says, the Lord simply stood and faced the enemy unafraid. In fact, he calmly measured the earth as a sign that he possessed it. To measure something, says Wiersbe, is an indication that it's yours and that you can do with it as you please. And it's also a preliminary step to action, as though the Lord were surveying the situation and estimating how much power it would take to execute his wrath on the nations. Again, the picture is a picture of awesomeness of the mighty God in all of his glory, getting ready to exercise his sovereignty. And then in verses 12 through 15, we find God exercising that sovereignty. Verse 12 through 15 tells us that God marched in power. Verse 12 says, you marched through the earth in fury. You thrashed the nations in anger. As the prophet watched, the awesome fury and power of God was released in anger upon the unbelieving nations of this world. For what purpose? Is God's anger merely capricious? Does he lash out at sinners without purpose? Not at all. The text tells us, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. God's awesome power acts for one reason only. All that he does is so that his glory will be seen in the salvation of his people. The thought here in this section of verses is that the prophet's second response to God's revelation of his plan is to bow down in worship. I don't know if people still use this phrase or not, but in the old days, we used to say about something or about someone that was really beautiful, oh, that was a knockout. That really knocked me out. And what that meant, of course, was that something was so transcendently beautiful that we were stunned by its glory. We were fascinated by its power. We were captivated in its presence. We couldn't pull our eyes away from the thing of incredible attraction. And that's just the way Habakkuk reacted to the vision of God as recorded in these verses. His heart worshipped. His faith was strengthened. His mind was calmed. His emotions were awed. True worship comes in one way only, through receiving a vision of God. You know, perhaps the greatest need in the church of our day is a return to this true worship. We seem to have gone off track equating worship as a part of our service that primarily centers on the feelings that arise when really good music is being shared. Now, now hear me well. I don't want you to misunderstand. I'm in favor of really good music in worship services. Music has formed an important part of the Christian worship since the earliest days of the church, and we ought to be praying that it continues for all of eternity as we believe that, that it will. But worship is so much more than this common misconception conceives it to be. Worship is the spontaneous reaction that comes when the heart catches a glimpse of the glory and greatness of God. No one who's seen a true glimpse of even the edges of his robes, as the Bible says, can help but worship. What we need in our day is a return to thinking of and praying for and experiencing the gripping wonder of the vision of God that is given to us in the Scriptures. 
Do you know when we read verses like this, our hearts see and hear for ourselves the living God through these kinds of passages? We vicariously experience with Habakkuk and Isaiah and Ezekiel and so many others the vision of God that transforms the lives of everyone who experiences it. These visions in Scripture are given to us so that we can experience in them too. Now we need this because God is worthy to be sought. We need this because no one can come into his presence without being forever changed for the better. And we need this because our strength will inevitably fail without fresh infusions of the glory of God bursting upon our eyes and hearts regularly. In our Bibles, we have several accounts of men who were surprised by visions of his glory. Their instant reaction was to be knocked off their feet. Sometimes, almost quite literally, they were knocked off their feet by what they saw. When was the last time you were knocked off your feet? by the glory of God. Now our text moves on through verses 16 through 19. Habakkuk's prayer rejoices in the works of God. He rejoices in the works of God. These verses contain uh, some of the most precious statements, one of the most precious statements of faith in the whole Bible. These verses lead us into a quiet commitment of heart and mind that Habakkuk experienced because of his encounter with the living God. When Habakkuk reflected on all that God had told him to expect, when Habakkuk considered the vision that God had granted, when Habakkuk realized that he and the people of his generation were going to experience God's severe mercy of the Babylonian invasion, his flesh naturally recoiled. He says in verse 16, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. What God had planned almost took his breath away. Yes. But it didn't knock him off his feet. Because the rest of verse 16 says, Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. The experience of God that Habakkuk was granted changed his aching lament heard through his words in the first two chapters of his book to a shout of rejoicing here at the very end. Listen to these verses, this great statement of faith in verses 17 through 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Though his experience of God, through his experience of God, Habakkuk had reached the point of knowing that he could rely on God no matter what life threw at him. Truly, God had become his strength. And he could even lead others in singing about his discovery. The very last words of the book point us in that direction. God, he said, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And then he said to the choir master with stringed instruments, he said, send this one to the choir. Let him sing about this. The doctrinal point in this last paragraph is that the prophet's third response to God's revelation of his plan 
was to commit himself to rejoicing no matter what God brought to pass. You know, there's a phrase of speech, I can't wait. And it's a signal of our impatience with some situation in life, either good or bad. It could be, I can't wait to bite into that chocolate cake. Or it might be, I can't wait until this election is finally over with. (laughs) Can I get an amen? As we draw closer to the coming of our Savior, whether that be today or a hundred years from today, doesn't really make any difference. As we draw closer to that day, we can expect life around us to become more chaotic, at the very least. If we have any sense at all, we long for it all to be finished and for all things to be restored. But how are we waiting? Are we waiting with dread, as Habakkuk felt when he first talked to God about his plan at the beginning of the book? Or are we waiting like Habakkuk did in these last few verses of the book, with rejoicing and joyful expectation? Can you rejoice and wait patiently for God to finish his work? How's your soul doing these days? Is your soul in turmoil as the souls of so many around you seem to be? Well, if so, perhaps you need a fresh vision of God to put things right again. What's your plan for encountering God? Why not take a page from Habakkuk's book? Ask God for answers. Watch for his reply. Wait for his glory to be manifest and walk in his word and all the while rejoicing in what he's doing, even though it doesn't fit our plan. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for speaking to us out of your word. It's a good word. Help us to take it to heart. In Jesus' name, amen.